Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson, I'm the senior pastor, and it is our joy to have you with us. Thank you so much uh, for joining with us here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church on this Sunday. What is today? October the 10th. It is our privilege to have you, and just thank you so much for making us a part of your life this weekend. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 17. The book of Matthew, chapter 17. You can go ahead and turn there. Um, a couple of things I would just mention to you. Uh, newsletter has gone out, actually went out a while back, but pay attention to those announcements that are in your bulletin in the newsletter. Uh, a couple of things, there is a Next Steps class coming up. I believe it's next Sunday or the next. It's in the announcements, but uh, um, I believe it's next Sunday. If you're visiting with us for the first time or the hundredth time, you're curious about what it might look like to be a member at Malvern Hill, we would love to have you. Um, I would love to have you. I lead that class. I'd love to have you to come in and, and just listen and learn a little bit more about what it is to be a member of Malvern Hill. Um, even if you're not 100% decided this is where you want to be, we'd love to have you come visit with us and just learn what it is that's, that, that the Lord's doing here at Malvern Hill. Uh, other than that, I just am so glad that you have chosen to be with us. Hopefully by now you've made it to Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word, and I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons? Or from others. And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray this morning as we consider taxes. Lord God, as we consider what it is to be faithful to you, Lord God, what it is to represent you well in the world around us. And Father, above all else, we would see a cry, the Christ who has paid our debt. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I look back through my notes, and I've been keeping my sermon notes in the same, using the same uh, software platform since 2014. And I, I've, I, I'm surprised that I've not preached from this passage of Scripture as best as I can find anywhere. I talk about it a lot. I've probably talked about it with you, some of you in one-on-one -on -one conversations. I've written about this before. Um, but paying the tax we don't owe is one of, for me, the most important truths that Jesus gives to us for what it looks like to live as faithful followers of Christ in the world around us. So this morning we're going to talk about politics, religion, and taxes. Where there's all the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite southern company. If you want to have friends and keep friends, the last thing you really want at the dinner party is to bring these things up. As a matter of fact, we're looking at our government right now and they, they, can't even get, they can't even agree on how to take our money from us. They're all arguing with each other about how much they can get. We can't get along. This morning, I ask you this question. How can you live for Christ without being obnoxious? You like that? Yeah, some of y'all really need to pay attention. And I'll tell you this, at times all of us really need to pay attention. 
Because somewhere along the way, we can, we've, I'm afraid that we, we sometimes buy the lie that belonging to Jesus gives us the right to just be any way we want to be and to blame it all on Jesus. We're going to see this morning that you need to be really careful when you speak for the Lord. Now, before we jump into this passage, I want to tell you just a little bit. It's, it's an interesting experience because what you're going to see is Jesus later on saying, hey, I don't want to give offense. But if we look at Mark's account, I believe it's Mark, might be Luke's account of this in Capernaum, what we see is as they're walking, as they're journeying this way, the disciples actually get into a conversation. Now, Matthew records this conversation beginning in chapter 18, but the other, the other Gospels help us to understand that this conversation from the disciples actually took place along the road to Capernaum. And so we've got the disciples arguing about who the greatest is, and Jesus says, hey, what are y'all talking about? And they're just like, you know, your kids, when you turn around and go, what are you arguing? Nothing, nothing, we're all fine. And Jesus says, oh, I, I, let, let, me, let me give you a story. He says, you want to know who the greatest is in the kingdom? He says, get, 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 is there a kid? Come, come over here, sit right here. You see, if you want to be greatest in my kingdom, you've got to be like this child. This is what it is in my economy, the one who would acknowledge and admit their great need. It's in the context of these conversations, in the context of the disciples just still not really getting it, that we pick up in this experience. And what we have is Jesus and the disciples coming into Capernaum, and as best as we can figure, Peter is away from the Lord Jesus in this moment. It, it seems like maybe Peter is out in the street and Jesus has already made it into the house. And Peter is approached by somebody and he says, Doesn't your master, doesn't Jesus pay the tax? The two drachma tax? And Peter says, he absolutely does. And then Peter walks into the house and Jesus says, why did you have that conversation with that guy? What's going on? Well, it's the first thing we're going to see right here this morning. When we think about how it is that we can live for Christ without being obnoxious is that we shouldn't speak for Jesus. Don't speak for Jesus. Now, I, I don't mean here that you should not speak Jesus's words what I mean is that you shouldn't put words in Jesus's mouth don't speak what you think Jesus would say or what you think Jesus should say we speak only those words that Christ has said we need to understand here what's being requested this person comes to Peter and he says hey as your Savior your master your Lord does your Jesus pay this temple tax now this is not a roman tax collector this is not a roman tax this is specifically a jewish tax a tax to support the upkeep of the temple now we can date the idea for this tax all the way back to exodus chapter 30 and there after a census is taken moses is commanded to take from the people a half shekel for the service of the tent of meeting now we don't pick up on this because we're not smart enough or at least we're not acculturated in this time period enough to understand that the two drachma tax is equivalent to half a shekel now they say to peter does he pay the two drachma tax jesus makes certain to tie this thing all the way back to where it begins and that's important as you're going to see at the end of the sermon Jesus says this is not merely a two drachma tax. It matters that they're asking you for the half shekel temple tax. Essentially, Peter is being asked by a religious leader. Now, Jesus cares about the temple, doesn't he? 
Your, your, your master seems to sort of be suggesting to the world that he's the Messiah. So he really is a good Jew, right? He's going to pay the temple tax, isn't he? He doesn't think he's better than everybody else. He, he certainly isn't subservient to Rome, is he? Now, Peter is a really good friend. As a matter of fact, Peter is the kind of friend that we all want to have. Peter's the kind of friend that the moment that he senses that Jesus is being threatened, Peter is the first one to speak. This is why Peter puts his foot in his mouth so, so often. Because Peter speaks before he thinks. And so as soon as he sort of senses that Jesus' integrity is being questioned, Peter defends Jesus. We all need a friend like that. As a matter of fact, I hope you're that kind of friend. It'd be awesome to be that kind of friend, isn't it? And it's great to have those kinds of friends. You don't know what happens in the world around, but you know that if that friend's there, you know that you've got a friend. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like, well, I wonder what he said about me. You never have to wonder what Jesus was go- or Peter was going to say about Jesus. Je- Peter's going to stick up for Jesus, come thick or thin. That's my man right there. I had a friend in college that got into some really ridiculous trouble. He, he just made some really poor decisions and um, a, a lot of things that happen when, when people get into a lot of alcohol. And, um, uh, and, and I'll, I'll never forget, so he's a, an old, long-time friend of mine. And I'm trying my best to help him make the right decisions. And, and, uh, and, and here we are with um, him making all these wrong decisions. And somebody comes to me and says, why do you keep standing with him? I said, because he's my friend no matter what. This is where Peter is. Peter says, you're not going to question Jesus' integrity. Of course he pays the tax. But then watch what happens. Peter walks in the house. And Jesus spoke to him first. Don't miss that part. Peter doesn't walk in and go, Jesus, you know what they're saying about you out there? He walks in and Jesus goes, hey, Peter, tell me this. Who do you think pay the taxes? What, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And Peter's like, ooh, <laughs> this didn't go exactly the way I wanted. Folks, have you ever been in that spot before? You, 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 you spoke for Jesus without actually listening to Jesus. Maybe you repeated one of those oft-quoted phrases like cleanliness is next to godliness. Maybe some of y'all don't know this, but let me give you this hint. It's not actually in the Bible. Maybe you've, you've said something or heard somebody say, I know God would want you to be happy. Man, we, we, we've seen people use that kind of phrase in the most horrible of circumstances and situations. Somebody that's just got, got their, their, their feelings hurt in church and they just decide they're going to walk away from the church and they go, well, I know God would want you to be happy. Well, no, actually God's word says that he would want you to reconcile with your brothers and sisters. That's what God's word says. Or somebody that says, you know what, I'm not happy in my marriage, so I know that God would want me to be happy. No, what God's word says is that you should do everything you can to make that thing work. Right? We need to speak God's word. Peter spoke without actually encountering Jesus. Does God want you to be happy? Does he? See, that's, that's sort of become the, the, the catchphrase for the world today. It's sort of the, the, we'll call it the sort of partially Christian apologetic in, in our, our world. So in other words, if you're remotely Christian and you believe in God and, and you believe God's word and you're involved in the church, rather than dig into the hard things, a lot of times we'll go, well, well the, the happiness test is the one we got to pass. And so, well, God would want me to be happy. 
That's premise A. Premise B, this is going to make me happy. Premise C, then, is since God wants me to be happy, this is what's going to make me happy. God must want me to leave my wife. Now, I'm not saying that that would make me happy, just for the record. It would make me unhappy, just so when y'all communicate that to Angela, I just want y'all to know. She would make me very unhappy if I did that as well. See, the, the problem with the premise is when I go, this would make, uh, God wants me to be happy. This would make me happy, so I'll do this. The problem is that it runs counter to God's word. So, for instance, when we go to maybe the most important passage of scripture about our happiness, Psalm chapter 1, or Psalm number 1, and we read, blessed are those who do what? Who fear God and keep his commandments. Those who walk according to God's word. See, God does desire for us to be happy. That's how we translate blessed in the Psalms. The thing is, our ultimate happiness is not found in doing what I want, what God understands. <coughs> excuse me. What God understands is that our ultimate happiness is found in serving Him, walking according to His purposes and His ways. Now, that's sort of a side note from where Jesus and Peter are right here, because Peter is speaking for Jesus without actually going to Jesus. Folks, do you want to be an obnoxious Christian? Let me give you this, this idea. Speak for Jesus without actually going to Jesus and see what Jesus has to say. Do you want to be an obnoxious Christian? Just share your own ideas and then attribute them to Jesus. But if you want to avoid that, let me encourage you. Don't speak for Jesus. Instead, just speak Jesus' words. A friend shared a text with me this weekend that was filled with truth. You know, now it, it, was, it wasn't directed towards me. It was more, more one of those, hey, would you pray for me? I've got to share this with somebody. And it was a hard text. It was a hard truth. Nobody really wanted to speak that truth. Nobody would have wanted to read that truth or hear that truth. But it was still truth. Folks, we got to be willing to speak the truths of God's word. You know, it's easier to speak in platitudes or generalities than it is to speak truth. But we must avoid putting words in Jesus' mouth. When they came and they said, Jesus is a good patriot, right? And Peter said, of course Jesus is a good patriot, sir. And Jesus says, Peter, what need do I have of being a patriot? I'm the son of the king. Peter, you've just put me under an obligation to pay something I don't owe, Peter. Peter, you forgot, you ready, who I was. You see, this is why we sometimes speak words for Jesus that don't come from Jesus. It's because we forget who he is. We begin to believe that we need to protect him or that we can direct him. We begin to believe that his words are too harsh or too strong, and so we need to sharp, shave the sharp edges off. Peter remind, or Jesus reminds Peter, I don't know anything, Peter. So the first thing, if you want to avoid being a noxious Christian, don't speak for Jesus, just speak Jesus' words. The second thing this morning, pay the tax you don't owe. Pay the tax you don't owe. Now, I'm going to step on a limb and say that probably... 70% of y'all in here need to hear this. So I want you to pay really close attention. And when I say 70, I'm really just being nice so I don't offend all of you at one time because it's probably 100% of you just like I have to hear this on a regular basis. I had a lady get angry with me, very like really mad at me one time. 
<clears throat> because I paid her a compliment. Y'all ever had that happen? I, I said to her about her work ethic, I said, you are, are very meticulous in what you do. Well, what I didn't know is that she, she wasn't familiar with that word. And so she assumed that I was insulting her. Okay? Now, if you don't know, that word just simply means that you're, you're particular. You pay attention, pay close attention. You do really careful work. But when you assume that you've been offended and you go and you look up a definition and it says fussy as one of the synonyms, when you've already assumed that you've been insulted and you go, he just called me fussy in particular. Y'all, let me tell you, for all the things I've done wrong in my life, that wasn't one of them, okay? I've done a lot of wrong things in my life. That is not one. You know, I found myself apologizing for something I didn't do. Apologizing for a wrong that I didn't commit. Working diligently to heal a rift that had been brought about by somebody else's lack of understanding. I did nothing wrong. And yet I still had to give an apology. Listen to me. As followers of Jesus Christ, you will often be asked to pay a tax that you don't owe. You will often be asked to issue an apology for something that you didn't do wrong. And it's time that as followers of Jesus, that we got our feelings off of our sleeve and got our anger off our backs and just said, I will choose to be wronged rather than to create division. Now, lest you think I'm making this up out of whole cloth, let's keep reading. After Jesus had said, Peter, I'm the son, he then goes on and, and he said this, then the sons are free, however, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. There, or take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Remember, it was a half shekel tax. So what Jesus says is, Peter, you go and you find this shekel, and it's going to suffice for your tax and my tax. Now, Peter, excuse me, Jesus has already made it very clear that he didn't know this tax. He said, I, I, I'm a son, I don't owe this tax, and yet Jesus writes the check right here. He pays it anyway. Do you avoid, do you want to avoid being an obnoxious Christian? Be willing to pay the tax that you don't owe. Be willing to pay the tax that you don't owe. The, our staff members, the other staff members in here probably can't count the number of times that they've heard me say this to them. Be willing to pay the tax that you don't owe. Well, I don't want to. I don't, they, they don't say this, but you know, I, I don't have to. This is America. Yes, but our primary responsibility, our primary citizenship is not as free Americans. It is citizens of God's kingdom, blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul goes so far as to suggest that toward other Christians, it is better to be wronged and cheated than to create a division. You know, I often use this example of Jesus to urge others to apologize even if you haven't done anything wrong. How many divisions within a church could have been avoided if somebody had just said, I'll apologize? How many times have I seen division because somebody looked at me and said, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't owe them an apology. Do you know that sometimes it's not about what we owe it's simply about what we're willing to do. 
to honor Christ, to maintain unity, and to move forward. Now, does this mean that we don't speak truth? Absolutely not. Let's go all the way back to that lady that I apologized to after I called her meticulous. And I did apologize, a written apology. But I also said to her, this, what, what you perceived from me was never my intent. And this is not at all the way that it should have been understood. However, I recognize that I've offended you. And I'm sorry for the fact that I offended you. Now, what my flesh wanted to do is go, I'm sorry you got offended because you were being ridiculous. There's another word. That's what my flesh wanted to do, but guess what? That would have done nothing but created greater division, greater strife. And Paul urges me to choose to be cheated and wronged, especially if I'm in an engagement with a Christian brother or sister. When's the last time you were willing to pay a tax that you didn't owe? That you were willing to be wronged? You know, in this situation, Jesus didn't owe a tax. But look what he says. However, so that the gospel can go forth. No, he didn't say that. However, so that we can lead more to Jesus. He didn't say that either. However, to make me look good. He didn't say that. He said, however, to not give offense. You know, there's a pragmatic issue right here. Let's not miss this. Jesus' ministry goes forward a lot better and a lot smoother if he doesn't offend people needlessly. Jesus understands that his ministry is offensive enough. Jesus understands that there's a lot of things he's going to do that are going to be offensive. He could use this as a teaching opportunity. Now let's explain to all of them, Peter, exactly what's going on right here. But instead, Jesus says, this is not a hill that I'm going to die on. He's going to die on a hill, isn't he? But it's not this one. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we've got to choose the hill sometimes. We've got to choose the hill. This is actually really good marriage advice as well. Not everything in your relationship is worth an argument. It's pretty good parenting advice. There's some things that you can just let go. You can walk away and go, hey, I know I'm right. As a matter of fact, you, in your heart, you can go, I know I'm right. I know it. I know it. You ever heard that old marriage advice? Sometimes you've got to decide if you're going to be right or you're going to be happy. I mean, I don't have to. I think Angela probably has to do that sometimes. Right? We, we all are there. There are times when, you know what, I could argue this point and I, I'll probably win. But what do you lose in the process? Do you want to not be an obnoxious Christian? Pay the tax you don't owe at least part of the time. Be willing to pay the tax that you don't owe. We don't want, as followers of Jesus, to be primarily known for all of our arguments, all of our fights, all of our disagreements. I'm a pastor in this community. And believe it or not, it's like everybody knows that about me. I've been here long enough that I can't sneak around that way anymore. I used to go places and people didn't know me. But after 14 and a half years, somebody always knows me. I'll never forget. So that means, listen, if I, if, if I eat out at a restaurant, I leave a tip. And that tip is predetermined before I arrive. It has nothing to do with, with how somebody, what kind of service anybody performs. It, it is predetermined because what they're going to say is exactly what I heard from a waitress. She looked at me one time and she said, you know him? I said, I know who he is. She said, he's a pastor, isn't he? I said, I, I, I think that's right. She said, he's the worst customer I ever have. 
And if all of them are like that, I don't want anything to do with it. How many of you would have people in your life to say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it, all because you've chosen to fight about everything? Pay the tax you don't owe so as not to give offense. Why does that matter? Because the gospel is incredibly offensive all on its own. Understand, like, we get so engrossed in our Christianity that we miss the offensiveness of the gospel. We say, it's good news, how could anybody be offended? It's offensive because we're looking at people and we're saying, everything you believe about your life is wrong. And you're dying and going to hell because you're following after your own desires. And the only hope you have is to turn away from everything you've ever done and to trust Jesus. Folks, that's offensive. And if we have any hope of getting people to believe that offensive message, we've got to do everything in our power to make sure that that offensive message is being given by unoffensive people. Jesus says so as to not give offense. That's a Christian principle for us. Every opportunity that we have to avoid giving offense, we should take it. You want to avoid being an obnoxious Christian, don't speak for Jesus, pay the tax you don't owe. But then finally this morning, rest in Christ's provision turn in your bible all the way back to the book of exodus chapter 30 and i'm going to read to you from exodus chapter 30 beginning in verse 11 the lord's well i'll wait for you to get there if y'all are willing to turn i'm willing to wait how about that The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Okay, first thing I want to make as a, as a, as a practical application, this is not a defense for some kind of fair tax economics. This has nothing to do with financial economics. The Bible says that each person, regardless of their income, was to give this half shekel tax because each person, regardless of income, was just as guilty of sin and in need of ransom and atonement. This is not about financial economics or American tax policy. This is all about our standing before the Lord and the reality that each and every one of us is guilty because of being born in sinful flesh. 
But now let's tie this all the way back to chapter Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is very careful when he says that this is not simply the half or the two drachma tax. Jesus says you need to go and take what? A shekel. Not four drachmas, but a shekel. That's important because Jesus wants to make sure that he ties this experience all the way back to Exodus chapter 30. And Exodus chapter 30 makes all the difference in this passage. And it makes all the difference in your life for trusting Christ and living in his provision. The two drachma tax, the half shekel tax, is, is this tax provided for what purpose? To provide ransom and atonement to Israel. That's what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 30. They are to pay the half shekel tax to make ransom and atonement. Now there's a difference. Those are two concepts. To ransom from the power of sin is the idea that we need to be purchased, set free, delivered. Atoned for the sin is to be atoned to the Lord. Do you understand? He says to them, you pay this tax so that you can be delivered from your sin and made right with the Lord. Peter spoke out of turn because Peter said, of course Jesus pays the tax. Jesus made explicit reference to the fact that he is the son, but here he makes implicit reference that's pointing us toward Calvary when he explains to us that what? He owes no ransom and he needs no atonement. He is God in the flesh, perfect, sinless humanity, God-man, the Word made flesh, tabernacling among us. Jesus didn't need to pay this tax, and he certainly didn't need to be ransomed or atoned for. Jesus was perfect. Peter spoke out of turn. Jesus could have embarrassed Peter. Jesus could have used this as a teaching moment, but instead Jesus made away. Jesus paid the tax he didn't know and that we couldn't afford. Do you want to avoid being an obnoxious Christian? Listen to me. Rest in Christ's atonement. Rest in Christ's atonement. You say, Craig, what does that have to do with not being obnoxious? Folks, we usually become obnoxious in our faith when we begin to believe that we deserve our salvation. You see, when it's something that I did, then I begin to wear it like a badge of honor. Look at me. I am a Christian. Jesus loves me. But when we rest in Christ's atonement, then we recognize that he doesn't love me because of what I've done. He loves me in spite of what I have done. And he makes a way for me to be set free from the power of sin and atoned to a God who loves me anyway. But look, what could Peter have done to mess this up? What if Peter had run back to the temple tax collectors and told them who Jesus was and how Jesus didn't have to pay the tax? Can you imagine? Peter's a powerful speaker. Remember, Pentecost, it's a big deal. You imagine? Peter's kind of fiery. He jumps up, he goes, let me tell you who you're talking to. What if 
Peter had decided he needed to take matters into his own hands. Of course, it could have gotten worse as well. Maybe Peter decides he needs to make up for his failure by trying to pay the tax for Jesus and himself on his own. You know what, Jesus, I messed this up. Let me, let me, let me cover for you. Jesus says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> You're not covering for me. Imagine me taking Steve Jobs to lunch. Steve, I got this. Steve, I know you ain't got this. Well, I mean, I would hope he would be that way. It would make sense. Well, he's dead, so I guess it doesn't work, but you get the picture. Let's go with Bill Gates. That'd be better. Whoever, a rich person, quit. I'm tired of being judged. Why don't some of y'all pay the tax you don't owe to me? Here's what Peter learned. Peter learned that Jesus' provision was enough. Let's go on a journey and consider the miraculous acts that were necessary for the feat that was accomplished here. Now, the only thing we get is Jesus says, go throw a hook out there and, and pull in a fish. Now, I don't know how many of y'all fish, but it's pretty rare that you get dumb enough fish that you can just throw a hook out there and just catch a fish, you know? You, you generally need to bait the hook. And in this day and time, of course, what? Fish were caught with a net for the most part. But it's not just that Jesus would arrange for a fish to be there to bite the hook. At some point, Jesus had arranged for somebody to drop a shekel into the water. And the Lord had arranged that at just the right time that a fish would come along and he would scoop that up and eat that coin out of the water. And that that same fish at just the right time would be in just the right place so that when Peter made it to the seashore and he threw that hook out there, that at just the right time and just the right place that hook would come by and that fish would go, oh, there's something else shiny that I haven't eaten. I'm going to take that too. And there it would come and there would be exactly what it was that Peter needed. And in so doing, Jesus provided ransom for Peter's sin and atonement to the Lord. Folks, we avoid our arrogance in our faith when we rest in Christ's provision. When we are willing to humbly acknowledge that we need Christ and then we fully and freely accept Christ. This is un-American. And when I say un-American, I don't mean unpatriotic. I mean un-American in that it is not meritocratic. There is no merit involved in this. I didn't earn it. I can't hold on to it myself. I'm completely dependent upon Jesus. Completely dependent upon Jesus to have that coin fall into the water at just the right time for the fish to come by and scoop it up and then be in the right place at the right time be willing to take the hook so that Peter can be right there in just the right moment. All those things had to take place for this. And folks, let me tell you, at just the right time, the Bible says Jesus died for my sins and for yours. You see, there was a debt that Peter couldn't pay that Jesus would pay. And folks, for all of us, there is a debt that we cannot pay but that Jesus died to pay for us. We rest in that provision. 
can I avoid being cantankerous and argumentative and obnoxious? By regularly being reminded that it is not Craig Thompson that brought about his salvation, but instead it is the grace and mercy of Christ who overlooked my sin, purchased me from my sin, and reconciled me to my Savior. Which brings us to the shortest sermon you've heard in quite a long time. Because the reality is that honoring Christ with our lives and living for Him doesn't have to be complicated. It just requires humility. It requires that we not speak out of turn and we don't add words to Jesus. It requires that we only speak God's word, watch, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's uncomfortable. It means that there are times when we must pay the tax we don't owe so as to not give offense to them. Jesus could have taken the opportunity to deliver a powerful message. And of course, in his own way, he did, but one that would only be picked up after the fact. But instead, Jesus chose to not give offense. When's the last time, believer, that you imagined that there was a cross emblazoned upon your chest and you just decided that the best thing in whatever situation you found yourself in was just not to give offense? That perhaps the best thing to do was not to ask to speak to the manager. Perhaps the best thing to do was just to look at that person who had really failed you at, in the store and just said, you know what? I hope you have a good day. When was the last time that you were willing to look at that boss who had reprimanded you or spoke wrongly to you and you just said, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. When's the last time that you looked at that brother or sister in Christ and you said, I'm sorry? When's the last time you looked at your own flesh and blood and you said, you know what? I'm sorry. How many of you have allowed small, ridiculous things to get in the way of relationships? As followers of Jesus, we've got to pay the tax, even when we don't owe it. Because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And then finally this morning, rest in Christ's provision. Let's go all the way back to where we began. They're walking to Capernaum. And the disciples are clamoring for power and attention. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the right? You know what? I, I bet that when Jesus finally comes into his own, I, Peter's like, you know, I, 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 bet I'm, I bet I'm chief. I bet I'm his, his right-hand guy. And John's like, yeah, okay, if that's what you want to think, that's fine. Matthew's like, look, you know I'm going to be the one handling the money because that's what I've always done. See, we all think that it's only Judas, but this tells us they were all arguing. They looked like a Baptist church, didn't they? Not y'all, of course. They looked like Christians can. 
They're arguing. They're bitter. I'm going to be, no, it's, we're going to have it my way. No, we're going to have it my way. No, I want to get my way done. This is where they are. And once they've finished with all their arguing about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus says, I'll be the least. Jesus says, rather than give a lesson about why I don't owe this tax, Jesus says, you know what? It's just not worth it. And he teaches Peter, Peter, I don't need you, you ready, to fight for me. I don't need you to pay for me. I don't need, Peter, here's what I need you to learn. The next time they come and they want to know about me, here's what I want you to tell them, Peter. You tell them that you paid the tax, or excuse me, that I paid the tax for you and for me. And Peter, don't we all imagine that maybe one day Peter got this message from Jesus? Peter, you remember when we did that whole thing with the fish and I paid for you and for me? Well, Peter, I want you to understand that on Golgotha, on Calvary, on that cross, I paid a tax I didn't owe and I paid it for you and for everybody else. And just like I didn't owe that tax in the temple, I didn't owe the penalty of death, but Peter, I paved a way. And Peter, I don't need you to fight for me. Peter, I need you to rest in my provision and to invite others to come. And so that's the invitation this morning. Would you rest in Christ's provision? Would you trust that He's enough? If you're here today, or you're watching at home, And, and you've spent way too much time trying to justify your own salvation, trying to justify your own reason why you don't need Jesus. Perhaps you, you, maybe you're just one of those people that spent way too much time trying to, trying to argue with the whole wide world. Maybe you've been that obnoxious Christian, and I know that's a hard thing to admit. But to be totally honest, there's probably somebody watching at home or listening in here today that probably just needs to admit, you know what, I've been that guy. I've been that lady. I've been so proud and arrogant in my salvation that I've driven other people away. Man, I, I've, I've, I've walked away from relationships. I've walked away from churches. And it turns out nobody's ever been good enough, Craig. But the truth of the matter is, I was always too good. And I never allowed Jesus to be good enough. Maybe you're here today and you've never known Christ as your Savior. You've been laboring, you've been working, you've been struggling. You come here burdened, weighed down. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to invite you today to be set free from your pain, your struggle, your fear, your heartache, your depression, your sadness, your loneliness. I want to invite you to be set free. You say, Craig, I've done everything, and I'm here to tell you today that the one thing you haven't done is to trust fully in Christ's provision, to trust that He alone can pay the tax that you cannot pay, the payment for your sin, to ransom you from sin, and to restore you to a right relationship with Him.
We're going to sing in just a minute. And when we sing, I want to invite you to come. To come and meet Christ. Perhaps you'd like to come and pray at this altar. Perhaps you'd like to come and pray and say, Lord, I, I just haven't rested in you enough. I've been fighting all the fights, but Lord God, I need to give in today and trust you. Whatever it is the Lord may be working in your life, would you come today and trust him? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and thank you. God, I thank you that Jesus is not just a model for us. Lord God, he is the sacrifice for our sin. Lord, he is the tax that we could not pay. Lord, thank you that Jesus is enough. Help us to rest in that provision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us this morning as we sing?